they're just kind of a high-level uh, overview, a uh, little bit of uh, detail about the backgrounds, uh, some of the time period, uh, the, the settings that these books were written in, uh, to help us have a little better understanding, perhaps, as we go through and study them. A little bit of the, um, the content of them and how it uh, applies to us today, certain of the key things about the book. And uh, so we're on 1 Samuel today. Uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel were uh, originally written as one book. In fact, the Jewish Talmud uh, considered it to be the book of Samuel, uh, both 1 and 2 Samuel together. Uh, later on, it was broken into uh, 1 and 2 Samuel by means of a way to divide the history of David. And so we have uh, three key characters that show up in the book of Daniel. We find it starting with Samuel. And Samuel serves as a, uh, a prophet for Israel. And he also serves as the last judge of the nation of Israel. And uh, then we have Saul, who, comes, who becomes the first king of Israel. And then we have David, who becomes the... Uh, by the end of Samuel, he, uh, 1 Samuel, he is the king-elect. He's not yet taken the position of king, but he has already been anointed and chosen by Samuel and chosen by God to be king. And so 1 Samuel is going to deal primarily with those three characters. You're going to find pretty much all of the book dealing with uh, one of those three uh, men. Chapters 1 through 7 uh, will deal primarily with Samuel. Chapter 8 through 31 will deal primarily with Saul. And then chapter 16 through 31 will deal primarily with David, and so you'll see that Saul and David uh, have a lot of overlap, and uh, you'll, as you read this, this book, you'll understand why. There's a lot of interaction between Saul and David, and so there is a lot of overlap between the two of them. Um, Samuel is a book of transitions. We find uh, the transition from Eli to Samuel. Uh, we find the transition from Samuel to Saul. And then we find the transition from Saul to David. So three basic uh, transitions that take place during this book. Uh, it's fairly certain that the first portion of uh, 1 Samuel, up through about chapter 25 or so, that Samuel more than likely was the author of those chapters or those that part of the book. Um, there are some reasons for that in chapter 10. If you'll have your Bibles handy, let's look at a couple of passages here. Let's look in chapter 10 and verse number 25. <clears throat> chapter 10 and verse number 25. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man, uh, to his house. And uh, so we have some internal evidence here that uh, we know Samuel did write a book. And so there's a very good Possibility most people believe that the first portion of Samuel, First Samuel, was um, written by Samuel. In chapter 25, we find the death of Samuel. So the events that are uh, given after chapter 25 were more than likely written uh, by someone else. Now we don't know for certain. The Bible uh, doesn't tell us for certain who those people are. Uh, but in First um, Chronicles, chapter number 29. And uh, it makes reference to the book of Samuel, uh, who was known as the seer, and also the book of Nathan, the prophet, and also the book of Gad, the seer, as in all three of them contributing to this book. And so there's a good chance uh, from the, the passage in First 
Chronicles that uh, Nathan the prophet and Gad, who was also a prophet of the day, uh, contributed to the latter portions of uh, 1 Samuel and most all of 2 Samuel, although there's not definitive proof of that. And so uh, I just say that by way of possibility that that is a good chance uh, because of the reference in 1 Chronicles that that could have been the case. Um, other than that, we do not know. There is there, at the, the bottom of line is it, it does not tell us <coughs> specifically who wrote it. There just is some evidence to it, and uh, we want to try to keep that as uh, uh, clear as we can. <coughs> the book was written uh, shortly before the death of Samuel. Uh, Samuel served as a judge between uh, in Israel between. Uh, roughly uh, 1067 B.C. and 1015 B.C., uh, so for about 52 years or so. And uh, the book was not compiled or put together as a, as a complete book until probably somewhere around 970, as best we can tell, or so B.C. Uh, the book, because of uh, some of the events that it re- accounts for, the book ends in the last days of David um, and uh but it is before uh, the divided kingdom, although there is a reference to uh, the divided kingdom. And so uh, it's kind of, um, kind of uh, one of those things that in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel, it does refer to Judah being separate from the nation of Israel. So it does show some of the divided kingdom there. So sometime between the end of David and the, the beginning of the divided kingdom is where we try to place that timeline it covers about a 94-year period of uh, Israel's history. <clears throat> there are several pictures of Christ in 1 Samuel, and I want us to look at some of these. Uh, the first one is Samuel himself, uh, who is a picture of Christ in the way that he served as both a pro- or all three as a prophet and a priest and a judge uh, or ruler of Israel, if you will. And again, those are all three positions that Christ also uh, is serving in as the nation uh, as the prophet and the priest and the king of Israel. Uh, David is also portrayed uh, as the picture as a picture of Christ. There are several similarities between David and uh, and Christ. Again, there is no perfect picture of Christ in the Old Testament, but there are quite a few pictures of Christ and some of his uh, work and who he is and what he what he did. Uh, several things that are similar in the fact that David, I think, is a picture of Christ is they were both born in Bethlehem. We know that because Bethlehem was known, especially Bethlehem Ephrata, uh, which is spoken of in Micah. Uh, there were uh, two main, there are still today two main Bethlehems in the time of Christ. There were actually five different ones uh, scattered around the country then but only one of them was known as the city of David, and it was the city where David was uh, not only uh, went to and, and was a part of, but also where he was from. And that was in the valley of Ephrath, or uh, Bethlehem Ephrata. It's about five miles. The old city, uh, archaeologically, is about five miles outside, uh, of, a little less than five miles outside of the gates of Jerusalem. And so uh, very, very close proximity to Jerusalem. <coughs> Uh, David is also a shepherd, and of course Christ is pictured as a shepherd uh, numerous times in Scripture. The fact that we are his sheep uh, and the fact that he is our shepherd. David rules as king of Israel, and of course Christ is king of Israel and will continue to be 
uh, because David was promised an everlasting kingdom. And so someone from David's uh, line will continue to be uh, king of Israel throughout eternity. The Bible speaks of the fact that David's kingdom would be an eternal kingdom. Uh, so it's very important that we understand this. Uh, hold your place here in 1 Samuel. We're going to look at some other passages here in just a few moments. But turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1 for a minute. Romans chapter number 1. And uh, let's look in verse number 3. Romans chapter number 1 in verse number 3. Uh, let's back up to verse number 1. We'll come into verse 3. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made, notice this, of the seed of David, according to the flesh. And so Christ is referred to here uh, as the seed of David, uh, meaning that he has the rightful position or uh, ability to be the king of Israel, not just through the time of the history of man, but literally for eternity. Uh, also turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 22, I believe it is. Revelation chapter 22. And again, we'll see another reference where Christ is referred to as being from the line of David. Revelation chapter 22. And uh, let's look in verse number 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. That's an interesting phrase, that he's the root and the offspring of David. Uh, he was the establishing of David's kingdom. He's also the offspring of David's kingdom. And by such, being in the lineage of David, has every right to be the eternal king. Uh, and so very, very important that we understand these, these things when it comes to the picture that is given to us by David. Uh, of Christ. And again, it's not a perfect picture. David was a man. He was human. He was not perfect. He was not Christ himself. He just, in several ways, pictures the position and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the keys to Samuel, uh, the, the, we've already said the book of Samuel is a transitional book, so I think the best key word to use if we were to describe this book is a book of transitions. Um, there are two key, key passages of Scripture that I think are vitally important and really kind of convey the overall truth of the book. And when I do a survey of a book, one of the things I want to look for is, I know there are a lot of truths that God gives us in those books, but there seems to be one overwhelming uh, thought or one overwhelming truth or maybe uh, 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 just one or two different thoughts perhaps that seem to make up the theme of the book or the, the overall direction that the book is going. And uh, there are actually two passages here that I think are very clear uh, about kind of summarizing the theme or the subject matter of the book of 1 Samuel. If the first one is found in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Let's take a moment to look here. 1 Samuel chapter number 13. <coughs> Now, let me give you a little bit of background, and we're going to look at one particular verse here that I think is one of the key verses of the book. Saul, who started out well, let me, let me back up just for a few minutes and try to give you a little bit of uh, historical precedence in the setting of the book of 1 Samuel. 
First Samuel begins with a man by the name of Eli, who is the uh, high priest of Israel at that time. It's interesting that Eli has two sons, and they are both very, very wicked and corrupt sons. They lead, his two sons lead Israel into a battle with the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were uh, supposed to be driven out. If you remember when God told Israel to go into the promised land, they were to drive out the inhabitants of the land. But we found out that because of... uh, the fact that God needed them to continue to rely on him, and they seemed to have that tendency to not do that when times were prosperous, God left some of the Philistines in the land so that Israel would have to continue to contend with them and to rely upon him uh, for victory. And so uh, they didn't drive out all of the inhabitants of the land. This tends to be their fall quite often because they begin to follow after the Philistines. Well, Eli's sons were were wicked. They turned to uh, very, very corrupt uh, things. They were taking bribes. They were defiling the temple, uh, the tabernacle at the time. Uh, They were were just not not good. If you take some time to read about them, these guys were just really rotten fellas. They lead Israel into a war with the Philistines, saying that it was of God and that God was going to fight for them. And in that battle, they lose uh, their... Uh, they, they, they lose the battle, obviously, to the Philistines, but they also lose the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant uh, was to be kept in the Holy of Holies and was the uh, what the Bible referred to as the mercy seat of God. It was where God's presence dwelt, uh, right above the mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant. It was the place where the high priest would enter into the uh, Holy of Holies and would sprinkle the blood of the atonement on there for the sins of, of the nation of Israel. And uh, so they lose uh, the Ark of the Covenant. They lose, of course, the priesthood. Eli and both of his sons die very shortly after that. And then we also find that uh, the presence of the Lord departed uh, from the tabernacle. And uh, because of this, the uh, Samuel comes on the scene, and he is anointed as a judge and a prophet. If you remember the story as a young man, he comes in and is a prophet under Eli. And because Samuel is one who listens to the Lord, he's attentive to him, he's submitted and sensitive to the voice of God, God establishes him as a prophet. Um, it's interesting because the Bible, in, in 1 Samuel, you'll find that there was a period of time where God's voice was not heard. Uh, There were no prophets hearing the voice of the Lord. And it says, and, and, and we'll look at this verse in just a minute, I think this is very interesting, but it says that God's Word was very precious during this time because there wasn't a, a word from the Lord. The things they had written, the book of God, uh, was very, very precious to them during this time frame. And, uh, and so it, there was not a lot of open... Uh, 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 voices of God, things, there was a, this, what we call the silent years, if you will. And God's voice was not heard again until Samuel heard it. And Samuel begins to become a prophet. And Samuel serves for a judge for a number of years, but as he gets old, his sons also are corrupt. His sons are not doing well. And the people of Israel are tired of this, and they come to God and they say, God, we want a king like the other nations. And so they elect a man by the name of Saul. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. 
<coughs> Saul begins very, very well. In fact, if you look at the early years of Saul's reign, he's a very uh, godly, God-fearing man. He's a man of humility in the early years and uh, leads Israel in the right way. But after about ten years or so of his reign, uh, Saul begins to uh, kind of come off the rails. He, he begins to go a, a wicked way, an ungodly way. He leads the nation of Israel into things that are contrary to God. Uh, he takes them into battle against the Philistines as we get to chapter 13, which is where we're at here to look at this key verse. He takes them into battle with the Philistines, and they have a victory. And they, they call on Samuel to come and to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Saul wants Samuel to come and bring a sacrifice, and Samuel is delayed. He, he doesn't come right away. And so Saul does something that is, is certainly something God says you're not, you're not to do, and that is he assumes the role of the priest, and he makes the sacrifice himself. Saul did not have that right. Saul was not commissioned by God to fill that position. And so uh, we find that uh, in verse number 9 of chapter 13, it says, And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered them uh, the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together in Michmash, therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And so he kind of tries to justify it. He says, I, I didn't want to do it, Samuel, but you were the one that was late. He kind of throws the blame on Samuel. Uh, by the way, we're, we're prone to do that, aren't we? When we realize, oops, I messed up, we try to find a way to justify and to make it someone else's fault. And sometimes we even blame God for it, don't we? It's what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. Lord, the woman thou gavest me, <laughs> she gave me to eat. Lord, it's your fault. You shouldn't have given me her. And the woman did the same thing. The serpent, the serpent, you know, the one you created, you know, he gave, he, he, he enticed me. Always blaming somebody else. It's human nature to do this. But notice what is said here in verse number 13. And this is one of the key verses, I think, in the entire book. Because it deals with, uh, I believe, one of the main topics of this particular book. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept, notice this, the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Two different times, in verse number 13 and in verse number 14, we find that the reason that God is rejecting Saul is because he did not keep the commandment which God had commanded him. Uh, each of the issues of uh, Eli and losing his sons and uh, the violating the tabernacle and losing the presence of God from the tabernacle, Samuel comes on the scene, and initially in his life, uh, we find they defeat the uh, Philistines. They get the Ark of the Covenant back under Samuel's leadership. And the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, comes back into the tabernacle because of Samuel. But I want you to understand this, uh, that uh, 
even though Samuel was a man that did well in his lifetime, at the end of his life, his sons were unjust. And again, was a man that no matter how much he had done and sacrificed for the Lord, he had made some failures in areas that he did not follow all of the commands of God. And so he, he gets on to Saul here at this point, and he tells them, tells Saul, he says, listen, you have not followed the commandments of God, and God is going to reject you because of this. Now look over, if you will, to uh, chapter number 15, just over a couple pages, and verse number 22, because I think that this verse kind of ties hand in hand with the, uh, the idea that Saul did not follow the commands of God. And in chapter 15, look with me, if you will, in verse number 22, uh, Saul once again had been uh, commissioned to defeat the Amalekites, to go to war against the Amalekites. And God told him he was to utterly destroy them. There was not to be one Amalekite left. And he disobeys God yet again. And he kept some of them alive. And notice, let's go to verse number 14 for a minute. Uh, Let's go back to verse number uh, 12, I'm sorry, for a minute. And let's get a running start into this. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. You see that? I mean, the very thing that God has already told Saul, because you have not kept the commandment of the Lord, uh, then I'm taking the kingdom from you, and you're, you're going to pay the price for this. He knows in his heart that he has not obeyed the commandment of the Lord, and yet when he comes to Samuel, and Samuel uh, presents himself to him, he says, uh, he, he's bragging on himself, he says, I want you to come and see how well I obeyed the commandment of the Lord. He's trying to ease the situation. And then Samuel says in verse 14, What meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? And the lowing of the oxen, which I hear. And Saul said, They have brought them from (laughs) the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. He said, They spared, but we have utterly destroyed. You see the difference in how he's speaking here? He said, The people decided to keep the animals. The people decided. We utterly destroyed them, but the people, and again, trying to justify himself. And notice it says here, and uh, uh, when Samuel uh, was, uh, uh, I'm sorry, and then Samuel said to Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, now that would have been the early years of Saul, when he had some humility about him. Wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, <coughs> the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst eve on the side of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, wait a minute. If he brought the king, and he spared the king, did he utterly destroy the Amalekites? Yes or no? No, he didn't. 
And he told Samuel, he said, well, wait a minute, I did utterly destroy him. I, I just brought the king. Before we're too critical of Saul, how often do we do this? How often do we say, Lord, I have followed your commandment, except this little area over here. But, but all the rest of it, I have followed it. And we kind of mumble under our breath as if we're hiding it from God. But this area we did not follow. We all have those tendencies, don't we? We all have that flesh nature that says, I'll obey God in most things. What God says is He wants us to obey in all things. It's easy to say, yes, that's what I want. That's my desire, and our hearts ought to want that. It's so hard to put it into practice, isn't it? To be ready to do whatever it is that God tells us in His Word without question. And to do it obediently and with a heart that loves Him. Notice what it says here. And, uh, and, uh, but the, uh, let's go down to verse number 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? I think this is the question of the hour. Saul thought he had done well. Well, I can't say that. I think Saul knew he had done not well. But Saul tried to justify himself not doing well, not being obedient, by saying, I will do all of this other for the Lord. I, I, I will bring these animals that we have spared, and we will give sacrifice to the Lord. I, I may not have obeyed in every area, but I'm going to do so much to make it up to God for my disobedience. Notice what Samuel said to Saul. Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight in verse 22, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is what? Better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. Boy, Pastor, if you just knew all that I do for the Lord, all He wants is obedience. All He wants is obedience. There are two things that took the kingdom from Saul. One of them was found in chapter 13 that we looked at a moment ago. Because thou hast not kept the word which the Lord thy God commanded thee. And then Samuel brings it to a point in chapter 15 and verse 22. And I think this is the, the thrust of this entire book. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. Chapter number 15 is the key chapter of the book, I believe, in the sense that it teaches this, that God will often remove His blessings from one who is disobedient and give it to another who will be willing to be obedient. Oftentimes, God does this. I believe He does it in the day that you and I live. There are times when we disobey God that we miss out on so many of the blessings that He longs for us to have if we were simply obedient. It would be amazing to see what God could do. I've got another half a page of notes here. We will finish them next Sunday because I don't have quite time enough to develop them. And we'll finish the last half of my notes here on 1 Samuel next week. 
and Lord willing, launch into the first part of 2 Samuel in our uh, survey of these books. Again, just a high-level view. We're not going verse by verse right now through these books, but trying to give some of the primary teachings uh, so that we can kind of understand our Bible as a whole in its entirety and how it all fits and frames together. Isn't it amazing how the truths of God's Word, though written over 15 to 1,500 years to 2,000 years, by multiple human instruments that were used to pen these words. Isn't it amazing how seamlessly it fits together? And every teaching of Scripture supports every other teaching of Scripture. You won't find conflict or or, uh, contradiction in this book. You won't find error in this book. What an amazing thing it is. I'm glad we have it to hold in our hands and our language to be able to understand it clearly and be able to learn from it what God has for us. And I hope that will be a help and a blessing to us this morning. Let's dismiss in prayer, and then our next service will begin here in about 10 or 12 minutes. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your word, how it guides and directs our steps. And, Lord, even the stories of the Old Testament, even looking at the history of Israel and your workings with uh, the individual lives of Samuel and Eli and David and Saul. And then, Father, as we look at the nation as a whole and your workings with them, Lord, so many things that we can learn about Your will and about Your heart, about what You desire to see in our lives. Lord, may we be wise enough to learn from other people's mistakes. May we look into this wonderful, perfect law of liberty. And may we see what manner of men and women that we are and be able to make the corrective changes that we would become more of what we ought to be for You. That we would walk daily in the, the, the desire to be obedient to Your Word. Father, not so much keeping our eyes on the world and our distance from them, but that we would put our eyes fixed upon Your Word and how closely we can align 